Japan has some fundamental differences to other cultures, and I'm not saying what's good or bad, but it's yeah. not the point. The point is different. The, the trends are the same globally. Given unplanned childlessness is so prevalent around the world, you know, and I, the best estimates I see places around 80% of people without children did not plan to have to be childless. This was what I call unplanned childlessness. This is Tracy Green, and I've got Stephen Shaw here, and you've made the documentary Birth Gap. Birth Gap, Childless World, yes. Childless World, okay, thank you. And um, so those who don't know you, you've been on a, a few podcasts already. Yes. And uh, so I'm honored to have you here with me, and we've already spoken offline and had a, a we connected immediately. We did. Just, um, you know, sometimes you meet people and you just connect immediately. That was one of those times. I'm very grateful for this yeah. um, opportunity to have a conversation well, with you. Really, thank you, thank you, and um, so those who don't know you, um, maybe give a little bit of your background, um, your work prior to the documentary, how you got into it, what you learned, anything that you thought going in that maybe you learned differently or something, or just you know take me through that process, please. This could be a long <laughs> explanation. That's fine. Because... Yeah, we can use the whole podcast doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, here we are sitting in Tokyo. We've got our own journeys that brought us here. Yeah. Maybe that's one of the reasons we connected. Yeah. But I, I, I never expected this. There was never a moment in my life where this was planned in any way. Mm. And I was maybe, I think, 48 or 49 when I first started looking at birth rates. Never for a moment thinking I would do make a documentary. Yeah. Move to a different country. I was in the U.S. at the time quite, quite happily. And sorry, were you a filmmaker before? Never. <laughs> never. I mean, uh, so at that point, if you told me yeah. I was going to make a documentary, I'd have said you're mad. I mean, there's just absolutely no ingredient in my history of any kind. I mean, I'm into math and data. Okay. But I did think at one moment I might write a book. That would have been a, a goal. Mm. Same kind of goal. I've never run a marathon. I will never do it now. But it was always in the back of my mind that maybe one day I could possibly do that. If I can do sure. a 5K, which I barely can. I might do a 10K, and you never yeah. know. I mean, documentary is way beyond marathon level for me, uh, way far beyond. Um, so not in your wildest dreams? No, there's no reason not to. I, I'm, you know, the closest thing would be uh, I've liked photography since childhood. Uh, okay. But video, no, not, 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 not my area, not my expertise. Why would I? But <laughs> what happened was when I had... The realization that there's an important book that needed to be written um, about birth rate decline around the world because mm -hmm. no one was really looking at looking at this from a global perspective. Yeah. Um, my second son told me, uh, "Younger people don't read books anymore. Make a documentary." <laughs> at that point, it was like, "Well, okay, there's no hope now. I, if I write a book, young people who I wanted to reach." Yeah, um, we're never going to read it, and I know uh, nothing about documentary or filmmaking. But there was one day I, I don't think I've told this story in film before. Um, I thought maybe I might know someone who knows someone. I was curious, and I opened up my contacts on probably Facebook at the time, and you know, letter A, the first person who came up was a, a woman called Annie, and I'd met Annie. I think randomly at an airport waiting for a flight and she uh, was from the US and had just been finishing work experience somewhere in Europe and connecting. Mm. 
And she mentioned that she was doing something media-related or that she knew people. I just got a feeling if there's anybody who might know anybody, A is a good place to start in this list and let's contact sure. Annie. I pinged her a message saying, Annie, we talked once. I'm looking for someone who might have any experience in Europe in mm. filmmaking. And she said, oh, no, but I've, I know someone in Washington, D.C. called Elise... Well, her name was Elise Muller. She's now Elise Muller Cosgrove. Okay. Who became my cinema photographer. And it was just the most incredible connection. I never, she's the only person I sent a message to, Annie, looking for help to find someone. And the message came instantly back. You should talk to Elise. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that, that's interesting. And then when I, you know, I had a conference call with Elise and Annie, it's like, okay, I've got this really weird project. I want to go around several countries and talk to people about birth rates. And they were like, uh-huh, why would you want to talk about that? <laughs> um, but here we are, you know, um, I mean, I, I still work with Elise. Hmm. She became a core member of my team. And through her, doors opened to meet more creative people. Oh, yeah. And I was pulled into that world. Um, the first project we did was filming in the U.S. And it was so amateur. Uh, the second we decided, okay, let's go to Europe, rent a car. Yeah. And at that point, my, my, my thinking was... I'm going to use this footage for my research. You know, instead of taking okay. notes when people are talking, oh, yeah. which would have been distracting. Yeah. Um, and I can't read my own writing anyway. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, okay, I got a videographer who can kind of record it all. But I think from the second or third interview we did, yeah. um, people started to open up about their personal lives and I got pulled into it. Uh. And I think Elise and I both realized this is a documentary. Mm. And uh, four years later, <laughs> I finished it two years of editing, which I never had planned for. I thought it was a one-year project. Um, yeah, it, it, it happened to transform my life. It brought me to Japan. Yeah. And the documentary, we went to 24 countries. Uh, well, we went to 27 countries, a few countries I didn't actually film in, but mm. 24 countries we interviewed in. And yeah, here I am living in Tokyo. Yeah, and you've been here five years? Yeah, nearly six now, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Great, great. I came back in 2014. Okay. And uh, it's been almost nine years now. In May, it'll be nine years. So, And I love it. Love it. Me um, too. But um, so Japan is a very unique place. Uh, what has surprised you about Japan coming here? I came to Japan for the first time for a three-month uh, as part of an MBA program I was doing, international okay. business program. That would have been in 94, and I spent three months, and I enjoyed it here, but I didn't connect with the country. At that mm. time, all of the uh, the signage was all in kanji characters. Yep. You, you you had to count the subway stops mm -hmm. because you couldn't read the signs to know when to get off the subway. Yep. Um, and because I was younger, probably, I felt there's a barrier to Japanese yep. people. English was really not spoken at all. So I liked Japan, but I didn't connect with Japan. When I came back... Um, I was actually on vacation with two of my kids in 2016, but intending to, through curiosity, understand mm. why are people having so few children in Japan. But I brought two of my kids and I realized everything changed. First mm. of all, they've got like Roman alphabet on yeah. the subway stations. That helps. Mm -hmm. Google Maps helps as well. Oh, it's of course. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But actually, Japanese people do speak a little bit of English and usually they're shy about it. Yeah. But if you're prepared to, you know, show that you're going to talk slowly, mm -hmm. you can communicate. Yeah. 
And uh, then I discovered a whole rich culture in Japan that mm-hmm. I really connected with. Um, people ask a lot why I'm here. Japanese people want to know why I'm here. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, the first thing is Japanese people. They're 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 very um, selfless people. Yeah. Very kind people. Um, they caring. But in the same way, they've got a great sense of humor. You know, this oh, yeah. comes out as well. It's like, this is really mm. interesting to me because I really connect with the humor here. Not everyone does. Oh. I know that. And of course, it's the safety, the, yeah. the, the the fact that when you go to a cafe here, yeah. that you know, but people don't maybe know, you can leave your laptop on yeah. a table outside the cafe. Yeah. You can go and order. And you're not thinking for a moment, no. is my laptop going to be there? Because it's going to be there. Yeah. Could, it, it's so safe here. It's incredible. Oh, so. heck yeah. I've, I had an expensive bottle of wine as a souvenir for a friend. Mm-hmm. And I had an extra... 30 minutes before we we're supposed to meet. So I sat down in a Starbucks and I put the wine on the floor mm-hmm. like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you don't do in Japan. Time okay. comes. I get up and run to meet my friend. I get on the bus. I go halfway to my destination and realize I forgot the wine. Mm-hmm. So I get off, get on a bus going back, go back to Starbucks. The wine was sitting there under the table. Yeah. Expensive bottle of wine. Yeah. And I said to the couple that was sitting there, I said, is there a bottle of wine under there? They said, oh, oh, there is. Yeah. And they handed it to me and I left and went to see my friend. Yeah. A a tire store near my home here in Tokyo, uh, you know, tires are very expensive and these are, they service luxury cars like Lexus and Mercedes Mm -hmm. and uh, they'll get their delivery at 10 p.m. at night Mm -hmm. and they'll leave several thousand dollars worth of tires Mm -hmm. on the curb Mm -hmm. on a busy street. All night. And they're... There in the morning. Yes. And they're there two weeks later. Yes. It's incredible. Another example for me, I once went to an ATM here. Hmm. And uh, I don't know, I was juggling lots of things, my cell phone. But I set the the credit card on top of the ATM. And I left. And five minutes later, I rushed back and it was gone. I was like, oh my gosh, it's been stolen. It's been stolen. I went to the stores nearby. And they said, oh, it'll be in the local little police cabin. Oh. I said, well, no, there's no way five minutes ago I left my credit card. There's yeah. no way. Who would have taken it to the police? No, no, it will be in the police cabin. I went wow. there and it was there. Wow. And then while well, I it was explained that Japanese people have this responsibility, if they find something valuable, yeah. whatever they're doing, they have yep. the responsibility of taking that to the local police cabin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, there's nowhere else in the world. Uh, I think well, uh, and in terms of cleanliness, I remember meeting someone from Switzerland here. Mm. And I think most of us think of Switzerland as one of the most pristine countries the anywhere. Alps, the snow, the, yeah, the water, right? Uh, yes, everything. But someone from Switzerland was here and was in shock saying, Japan is cleaner than Switzerland. It's more perfect than Switzerland. Wow. There's another side to that I think you may know, mm. too. There's a lot of pressure on Japanese people. Yes. To make things perfect. Yes. And that you know, causes things like working extraordinary yep. hours. So perhaps you and I are, are a little mm-hmm. lucky seeing the benefit of some of these things. But yeah. there is a bit of another side to it. But, there uh, is, yeah. Uh, it's it's um, you know, really connected me with, with life, with Japan. And just the culture here, rather. Mm-hmm. It's a culture I've connected with. Yeah. And I don't plan to leave. It's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so. Good, good. I don't blame you. I, I don't plan to leave either. <laughs> I'll probably retire and be, uh, I was going to say be buried here. I'll probably be cremated here. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I can yeah. see that happening to me too. Yeah, yeah. So um, I first came to Japan in 1990 mm-hmm. and stayed here for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Went back to the States. Once again in 2014, I came back and um, 
I've been here ever since 2014. And I've seen dramatic changes in those two stints in Japan, two, mm-hmm. almost 10 years each. Mm-hmm. But when I first came here, I met a man, he was maybe 45 or 50. I was in my early 20s. And he'd retired from a very successful career at a big company, and he had started his own trading company or import-export company. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how'd you do it? You know, what, what did you do to, to get where you are? Because I was young. I was interested in maybe entrepreneurship or at least getting rich, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, uh, my boss, when they first hired me at this big company, told me two things. Number one, get married. Number two, have a family. Mm-hmm. That's the only career advice he got from his boss. Wow. And it was almost, he explained it almost as if it was a duty. Mm-hmm. to get married and have children. Mm-hmm. And so he did. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure he worked extremely hard because you don't get to the top mm-hmm. by doing nothing, right? Mm-hmm. But um haven't heard anybody say that this time. No. Um, in fact, uh, you know, the end of lifetime employment, I don't want to paint too bleak of a picture because at the end I hope we get some possible solutions or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe possible good things happen. At the end of lifetime employment, people are not getting married. They're putting off marriage in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um uh, which means, you know, there's a downward spiral in consumer spending. If you don't get married, you don't need to buy a home. Mm-hmm. A lot of people into their 30s live with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have children, you don't buy all the baby stuff, like the the the, uh, the baby carriage or the pram, right? You don't buy diapers. You don't buy toys. You don't send them to school. You don't buy children's clothes. Um, so there's that downward consumer spending cycle, and then companies lose money, so they lay people off, and then they... People are worried about the future and then they spend less money. And when Japanese worry about something, when they panic, they save money. They don't spend. So I'm seeing that happen. Mm-hmm. That's a few things if you want to make a comment on that. It, or, or even if I'm wrong, just push back. I think there are shifts um, around that. Um, you're saying, sure, that, that, for example, people are not buying as many yeah. prams or, or, or diapers. Mm-hmm. Sure, that, that's true. But uh, when people are not... Uh, married often they're either well you, you you can't generalize there's different categories it's it's and yeah. categories that are difficult but there's those people who enjoy those years for things like travel true or things like you know updating the wardrobes perhaps more often than they mm-hmm. otherwise would but there's also people like you say the ones perhaps living with their parents still mm-hmm. um here we, well the terminology is difficult because each country's yeah. got its own terminology yeah, but, yeah. but the geeks here they kind of otaku yeah. Otaku, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, worry me. Uh, it's all around the world. These young men often who are either gaming all day yep. or here go, going into cultures that's difficult to explain, but the AKB mm-hmm. culture, you know, the, these yep. young women who, you know, sing songs on TV and you have mm-hmm. the whole fan base, all young men oh, yeah. devoted to this young woman. Oh, it's it, like a cult following, almost like cult. if you know the, the Grateful Dead. They had their, fo- their followers who, I, that was a different kind of follower, a yes. much more devoted follower. But these idols, they call them. Yes. AKB 47. And yes, 48. 48, yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's how <laughs> that's how out of the loop I am. I had to learn. Yeah. Um, so, but these guys, they collect their merch. They, they buy their books. They'll do like a swimsuit issue of like a 50-page book and it'll be like $100. And they all buy it. Yeah. They'll buy their CDs. They'll buy a T-shirt with their face on it. They'll yeah. buy a, 
any magazine that has them in there, they'll buy it. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a massive marketing thing. So and, and just explain, this is a television kind of knockout where you yeah. start with 48 young women who yeah. are singing and performing, and I think every week one or two get snocked out over a series. Yeah. But they also do their live shows. Mm. So these young men come to theaters oh, yeah. and line up and pay extraordinarily high prices yeah. to do this. But someone explained to me, a um, Japanese young woman, that no, these men actually love this is love that they have. They experience their feeling. Hmm. That may or may not be true, but um, I, I worry that this culture is an indication of a broader malaise amongst young men worldwide. Hmm. In Japan, it's brought out in different ways, like, like we've just been explaining. But sure. around the world, we have things like incels. Mm-hmm. We have you know, people, men going their own way. There's a yep. lot of problems around the world with men, young yeah. men. And I'm saying this as an older man, but I'm hearing it a lot from women who are looking to date and find a young man. Yes. And, you know, the balance is off. And in Mm. Japan, the balance is off in a uniquely Japanese way. Yeah. But the balance is off everywhere. It just happens happens to be that each culture, Uh. I feel, it's kind of, it's portrayed, it's realized in perhaps somewhat of a unique way. So the trend is global. Um, okay. So we talk about Japan often in a way it's quirky, and maybe it is, but the trends in Japan are no different to the trends elsewhere. Uh, that's true. And if, if we, you know, going back to dating, um, I, I've been out of the dating world for about a decade now, and uh, um, but I read a lot and I hear I listen to a lot of podcasts and I hear people in the US talking about dating apps and they talk about the older men are meeting younger women which means the younger men are not meeting women and um, you know maybe a guy who's 30 30 35 has his own home has a nice car has a career and he gets on a dating app and there's a 22 year old girl who's there swiping left swiping right and what yeah. chance does that young man that's her yeah. age have against that 35-year-old guy with the home yeah. and the car and the career? Yeah. And so I could see, and I saw this because when I was in high school, the college boys were dating the girls my age, mm-hmm. and I was bitter. Mm-hmm. And when I got to college, I thought, well, mm-hmm. I can finally date somebody in college. Well, no, now the guys with careers are dating the college girls. Mm-hmm. This is before the internet. Mm-hmm. Today, it's I just assume it's much worse. It's where... Yeah. Um, no, it, it is. Um, so making the documentary, I, I, I spent a lot of time getting to know as best I could younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm, I'm divorced, so it allowed me to kind of 2 a.m. still be out somewhere in sure, some place sure. just talking to young people without someone calling me saying, you know, where are you? Yeah. Uh, I realized recently that that had been a benefit probably. But yeah, two comments on this. I was out on a Friday night in an, in an area... Uh, where a lot of students live in Tokyo, near Shinjuku. Okay. And it was a British pub, and there was a bunch of young men, college age, playing pool. Hmm. And I asked them, Friday night, guys, why are you all here? Why are you not out with girls? Where are the girls? And one of them looked at me curiously and said, it's not our time. We're not, you know, the girls are out with the older guys. You know, they're out for the dinners, wow. you know, at the nice yep. restaurant that college kids can't afford. Yep. 
But it was uh, uh, it was black and white. It was like I was the idiot asking them, wow. where are the girls? It's like, well, they're not ready, you know. And I, I had this actually last week. I was in a, a Spanish restaurant here. Um, and just to explain, you will maybe know, food from all over the world is simply better in Japan. They take oh, it's a food, amazing. They take Italian food, they take Spanish food, and they lift it to a level. So yes. we're not here always eating a Japanese food. <laughs> Um, so I was in a very nice little uh, uh, Japanese, uh, sorry, Spanish restaurant, and I was talking to the waiter. He's a young man, maybe twenty-two. Uh, I've met him a few times about this exact subject, uh. and again he blanked uh, when I asked him was he planning to marry or was he dating. And it's like we we can't even start to think about the possibility of dating until he thought thirty to thirty-five was when he might start seriously dating. Wow. He wants to be a hairdresser, so he has to okay. study. Earnings for that are not great at the start. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, okay, that get me to the 30, and maybe I'm at my own place 35. So it's, it's, it's not that they can't date. Yeah. They're, they're not even trying to date. They've kind of, they're kind of demoralized then. They've they're kind of given up. Right, they, they, absolutely. But this doesn't benefit everyone because, you know, the 35-year-old male or 30-year-old mm-hmm. or 40-year-old sure. um, who can date younger women... Mm-hmm. It's probably having a date with a new woman every week because sure. he can. Sure. There's and no reason to kind of develop a relationship sure. often. Oh, yeah. So in the end, nobody really wins in this, in this culture that well, and we've created. Also, you get the 22-year-old girl when she's 25. No, when you're 22 and you're cute, you can go to a coffee shop or a nightclub or anywhere and meet a guy. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard when you're 22 and cute. But when you're 25, it gets a little more difficult when you're 30, it gets a little more difficult because the guys who used to, I'm a guy, so I can't really say for sure, but I'm assuming when you're 22 and cute and one day you wake up and you're 30 years old and you're used to being able to get any guy you want, mm-hmm. but those guys are still hitting on 22-year-old girls mm-hmm. and now you're 30 mm-hmm. and your choices are more limited. And, and what I like about data we didn't go into your career before filmmaking, before this, but we can do that a little bit. But what I like about data is it's agnostic. It's mm-hmm. not political. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I discuss observations like this, I try to keep it as like, okay, this is just data. This is just an observation I made. And so, um, you know, that's, that's just what I've noticed. And um, when I was here in the 90s, it seemed like everybody was dating. And everybody my age was... You know, I, I knew guys who came over to teach English and the first thing they do, they get a job, get an apartment and then meet somebody and everybody had a girlfriend and they're in their early twenties. Mm-hmm. These days I know a lot of guys, two, two things that either married or not dating. Mm-hmm. Well, but I'm sure there are people dating. I just, I'm just not in that world. No, no, so. it's, it's, it's a huge, huge problem. Mm. Uh, dating today is exceptionally difficult. Um, mm. So one f- fact I've learned relatively re- recently uh, from several sources is that on dating apps, mm. at least outside Japan, um, there are three times more men than women on dating apps. I believe it. And are those women actually human beings or bots? Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's a factor too. But the dynamic is wrong because you, you've got mm. the... The bottom half, however you define that, as mm-hmm. women would define it, almost getting no swipes. Oh, yeah. 
and you have the top that all the women are attracted to get, get the men are getting multiple swipes. The, the so, for example, I, I I I know someone here who is an attractive man in his late thirties mm-hmm. who has paid some premium plan on one of these apps. He wakes up every morning and he's got maybe a dozen women, all attractive, wow. wanting to ping. He chooses the one, mm-hmm. and the next weekend, the next weekend, so the next date. weekend. Yeah. And for him, mm. he, he's not even looking for this, but why wouldn't he explore? Well, if it's handed to you, not many guys have the willpower to say, I shouldn't do that. Yes, right? but it's just that if you look at the dynamics overall, yeah. you have these men who are getting lots of dates. Yep. You have these women who are being frustrated because they're getting one date once in a while mm-hmm. and thinking this guy might like me, mm-hmm. not knowing what you know this man's intentions are. Not really are. sure, yeah. yeah. Then you have... Men who are getting no dates, mm-hmm. and then you've the women who are not on these apps. Clearly, there's more men than women who yep. don't perhaps mm. have the opportunity to meet people. The mm. dynamic is fun- fundamentally wrong. I mean, we we met at a place last week, a, a little can we say it was like yeah, a, yeah. a filmmaker event. Filmmaker. Actually, yeah. we should give him a shout out. <laughs> yeah, we should. Blink Rapongi is the place, and once a month, uh, one of the film schools here. That's right, Elf. Uh, yeah, that's right. Go to meetup.com, look for filmmakers and they have a meetup every month but that's where we met that's where we met and uh, i i um, was interested i don't really consider myself you know a filmmaker but i like circle uh, yeah I, I am now i know you've I am. made a documentary but You're you all studied you kind of went in that path and uh, you know <laughs> you, you uh, uh, <laughs> it was um a, a nice evening but i used the same space two days later for an event it was the yeah. first event globally I'm calling them the birth gap chats. Mm. So if I can give a call out to that, because since yeah. then Ooh. I'm telling people around the world, if you want to have a local birth gap chat. Mm. So what this was, was it's, it's, we should expense a space for maybe 30, 40 people. Although I think there's like 60 that, the, well, that, that we met. Blink? Yeah, Blink. It's, it's a co-working space it, and they, an event space. Yes. Yeah. So there's a cafe, there's a bar area, there's a screen. It's cozy. It's great. The event I held um, was around 15 to 20 people who some knew each other and some mm-hmm. didn't. What I wanted to do in these birth gap chats is mm-hmm. show part of the documentary, for part one, um, and then next month we'll do part two and part three. But then we had a conversation uh-huh. about the topic, and the topic uh, this past week was can we solve this problem, the birth rate crisis. And I didn't know how it was going to work, but what was really interesting, people kind of circulated and talked about mm. this and talked and talked and talked. I didn't have to really engage at all. Yeah, yeah. And then I realized these people are actually really making connections that they wouldn't mm. have otherwise done. And the best thing for me was there's a group of five or six of us uh, went out afterwards until about midnight. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I could see some maybe couples forming there. It was... Ah. And you know, through the birth gap chats, it's not only for that; it's to bring people and communities together. Yeah. That's what's missing. Oh yeah, well, uh, especially after the whole pandemic thing. I yes, mean, those meetups. I, I went to that filmmakers meetup, and I was just so happy to meet human beings. Yes, you know, just talk to. My only interactions I have are with cashiers at Seven Eleven. Yes, for the past two three years, or the, the Amazon delivery man. Yes, who rings the bell and leaves it on your doorstep yeah. and just takes off. Yes, right. Other than that, you know. Yeah, it's a strange world, but so that certainly the pandemic made mm-hmm. it worse. Um, but, but, but this, but, this happened way before the pandemic. I mean, it started oh, it in 1974, right? Oh, the, the, the crisis, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and that's, 
you know, they, the, the heart of what they discovered in, in, in the documentary. But um, I, I suppose just to, if I can close out the point about sure, sure, bringing sorry. people together and mm. dating, there's a huge void now. Mm. Dating apps, I feel, are in some ways stale. Yeah. And to have local events to bring people together, yeah. I happen to have a documentary that might be interesting to people to start conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I'm promoting that as you know something that, in part one, anyone in the world can create one of these at no mm. cost. Um, just to hopefully bring community together. Yeah. Now, um, going back to 1974, mm-hmm. uh, something fascinating to me is that, I mean, can I just, my background is data. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that a couple of times, exceptionally briefly, because that's what I did for more than 20 years. I, I okay. run a small company, a niche company in the automotive industry. We do forecasting on car sales okay. um, at a very granular level. And we use big data for that to crunch numbers, to, mm-hmm. to, to predict weeks out what's going to sell and where. And as a person involved in pre- prediction and forecasting, yeah. I had noticed that there's something really strange going on because uh, I would have expected I would have known in the world I'm in about yeah. falling birth rates. And that means fewer people to become workers, fewer yeah. people to buy cars. But not only did I not know about this before the project, mm. the executives I inter- interface with from time to time, um, no one's thinking about this. No one's preparing for this mm. in the entire automotive industry. And I, I know this. I, I, I get to interface with some exceptionally senior people yeah. uh, around my predictions. So <laughs> this was a realization that I'm not thinking about it, yeah. but also the executives in the automotive world who have to make long-term plans. You're, you're, you're thinking, where am I yeah. going to build factories five years out, 10 yeah. years out? What are the trends going to be? They're not thinking about it. And therefore, I think probably no one's thinking about it. And, mm. and I think that that was absolutely the case. When I saw data about falling birth rates in mm. Europe, I knew about Japan. We all think Japan's a little yeah. bit quirky. That's just a Japan thing. Yeah. So I knew about falling birth rates in Japan, but I didn't know the same thing was happening in Germany and Italy and Spain and Switzerland and Austria and Portugal. Mm. And then I saw it was happening the exact same moment in time as Japan. Wow. So from a data point of view, you start to think, wait, there's a connection here. Yeah. You know, this is not random. You know, if there's some other event, I mean, the, the pandemic is actually a good example. You know, we saw the pandemic start in certain places. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking of going to Italy for a ski trip with my kids and I heard it was happening there and I changed yeah. my plans. Um, and, and suddenly it spread. It was everywhere. Mm. Uh, at no point in time did we look at that and think, oh, this might be a different you know, cause. It might be a different virus in all these countries. Yeah. It was obvious it started and it was spreading. Well, if you look at the demographic time clock, which is a, a little bit slower than yeah. viruses, but it was the same trend. It was starting in places, dis- mm. different places, but then spreading within those countries and yeah. around the world. So to me, it became rather obvious that there is a trend here but it wasn't a global trend because we didn't have the exact same thing happening in France and the UK and Europe. You didn't have the same thing certainly happening in the US and Canada. So it was intriguing from a data problem. Um, mm. But it's a problem I felt was solvable. You know, we, we can identify things that are, are similar mm. between Japan and Italy, say. Yeah. And back to 74, um, you know, there was a moment I realized I pretty much knew the month in 74 in Japan. July 74, birth rates fell. And um, mm. at a national level, in, in one singular month, and 
I wanted to know: was this a national trend, or was it you mm. know, was it city was it Tokyo and Osaka yeah. only, or yeah. you know, or the more rural areas? Sure. You know, was it happening up north in Aomori? You know, yeah, or, yeah. or or how did this evolve? Uh, and it turned out it was happening in every single prefecture in Japan in the same month of July '74. So that would mean that was the gestation for a child. Japan, they say 10 months. In America, we say nine months. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Japanese say 10 months. Um, America, we say nine months. Mm. But So that would mean nine months before July. That would be October. October 73. Um, And and, and, uh, so, you know, I I was working backwards from the data. Yeah. And I would have been a very young child in 73, but I had no clear memories of what was going on in the world around 73. So I had a researcher working for me, a young Japanese woman, who during COVID times, it was difficult to do research. You had to make a booking to go Mm. to the local library, the Japanese National Library. Uh, Because of COVID, they only took a certain number of people at a time. Uh. So this was maybe booked 10 days out. So she she, she goes to the library and... uh, I told her to look what's happening in July 74. There must be something in July 74. And she texts me saying, I've been here for two, three hours, and there's really nothing interesting happening. There's some news about this and that. I was like, mm. that's it. I'm like, oh, nine months before. Yeah. Look at October 73. Yeah. Like, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and she texts it back within 20 minutes. Global oil shock all over the news, food shortages across Japan, Japan's uh, in panic. Jap- Japan was, at the time, the world's biggest oil importer. Hmm. It was going through a boom. Mm-hmm. There were some stresses in J- Japanese sure, society sure. around that time. There was rising costs, and so there were there, there, people's mindset was challenged. Hmm. Um, there weren't enough kindergarten spaces. More women were starting to work, and then the oil okay. shock happens, and boom. No more kids. Well, or at least it dropped. Well, 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 actually, this is interesting too because if you had one child, mm-hmm. only one, the number of people with one child going for a second child increased quite significantly oh. or quite notably. Huh. Those who had two, three, four more had the same, no change. So wow. something in the psyche was, okay, if we've got one child, we probably want to, maybe we should do it now for, yeah, yeah. for you know, maybe things are going to, I don't know, I, I almost don't want to speculate, but it's interesting. Yeah. But those who had no children, the number of new mothers yeah. plummeted. And I, uh. to put that in context, in 1973, uh, around 3-4% of Japanese women yeah. were, were societally childless. You know, four years later, that was up to 25%, and then went straight up to to 30%. Demographics change slowly. Yeah. Demographics change over very long periods of time, decades usually. This happened in a four, five-year period. But back to July of 74, it was an instant reaction. And it was not cities. It was was a shock, and I call it the baby shock. Mm. Mm. And I should point out, uh, we don't have quite the same level of granularity in Europe. But at the exact same time, we saw yeah. that the same thing happen in, in Italy and multiple countries across Europe. So was this oil well, shock the... Oil shock cause... cause shocks called... Shocks cause... Now, let me get this right. Economic shocks yeah. cause baby shocks. Ah. Uh. Now, that gets interesting as to why. It gets very interesting particularly because once those shocks happen, mm-hmm. you don't ever return to the prior state. Oh. So we've... We, we, what we have now is uh, what, are, are, what we have now are multiple cultures around the yeah. world where we have, let's say, a third of women hmm. becoming childless. The debate 
and it's a mm-hmm. big debate, um, is whether that's by choice mm-hmm. or not by choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, can I just say one thing? Because I try and always make this point. Um, I sometimes, I, I heard a comment recently, um, and I expected this. To me, it's sad that someone said, mm-hmm. why is a middle-aged, older man going around the world talking about women's issues? You know, who is this guy who went to 24 countries? This is mm-hmm. a women's thing. Um, 90% of the people I, I met in the documentary are women. Um, mm-hmm. My three core crew, Elise I mentioned, but Taylor O'Sullivan, Mie Tanaka, three women. The five assistants, the core assistants we use yeah. around the world are all women. So there's a team of nine people. I was the only man. And it, it evolved that way. But I, I think, you know, I remember Elise saying to me, we couldn't be having these conversations. This is women's chat. And somehow mm-hmm. I'm getting in on it because I'm just kind of trying to lie low and just ask simple questions. Yeah. Uh, there were one or two times where we used a local crew with kind of local, you know, perhaps male mm-hmm. camera people. And uh, it was a different dynamic. Yeah. So I don't want to say necessarily that uh, I understand everything about women's issues mm-hmm. broadly. And that, that's not a good word. But um, I came at it from a point of view that I just want to understand about women's lives. And now we're a bit off topic, but I just yeah. want the, the, the core point I want to make sure, is... Sure. Let me put it this way. I interviewed five women who chose not to have children. Mm-hmm. And I support them. And I support every woman, every person who says, do you know what? I do not want kids. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'll be their biggest supporter because it's not mm-hmm. right to coerce people to have children who don't yeah. want them. I just want to make that point because, you know, when I'm getting into analysis of what the reasons might be, going mm-hmm. back to 1974, there was a, a baby shock in Japan that's still here today. Yeah. Um, I think it's very hard to imagine that that was by choice. That, to me, that it started through circumstance, mm-hmm. through economic fears. Sure, sure. Uh, and you can wind forward and try to understand why that's still the case today. Uh, to me, in simple terms, it became the societal norm for pe- people to mm-hmm. date later. We've talked about yeah, men yeah. and their 35 and 40-year-olds mm-hmm. still dating. Sure, um, sure but also for mm-hmm. women to start having families later. That's happened. True, true. And what we haven't, I, I interviewed five fertility doctors along my way, um, inclu- including Kim Kardashian's uh, yeah, uh, fertility yeah. doctor. And um, what if, yeah. I, if I can give a summary of that, because there's so little knowledge on fertility out there. Mm. You know, women today can do a very simple blood test to perhaps accurately, I don't know, mm-hmm. determine the number of eggs they might have at a certain age. Okay. Um, and I, I don't know enough about that to know if that's a good thing or not. But what I do know is there's another factor, mm. egg quality. Uh. So, um, and there's no way to measure that. And there's a third factor, which is the ability to carry a baby to full term. Yeah. Now, all those things, those three factors directionally get more and more negative as women get older oh. and it starts younger, a lot younger than people might imagine. And it's not the same for everybody. It's not like there's a magic age that, oh, it's okay to 32 mm-hmm. and 35 yeah, yeah. is fine or 40 is okay. Um, so, uh, well, another statistic around this more generally, mm-hmm. I asked people, I did an online poll. It wasn't scientific. It was just out of interest. I asked maybe one, yeah. 200 young women, I think it from the US, what age did they consider there's only a 50% chance that women would 
childless women would become parents. At what point yeah. is it, you know, 50-50? Yeah. And uh, I imagine people might have read this question thinking it was about fertility. You know, uh, mm. But it wasn't entirely. The most common answer was 40. People thought around 40, we've, we've still got a half chance. Oh. The actual answer is 30. Oh. And the reason it's 30, uh, part of the reason at least, it's not just fertility. In fact, fertility is not the number one reason. What happens oh. in our 30s oftentimes is we haven't got a partner at that moment in time mm. that we want to have a child with. Yeah, yeah. And that's back to the dating cycle that we've been talking about. Oh. And that might be because, well, there's multiple pathways. So many child. reasons, yeah, yeah. Yes, but it might be because there's a breakup. That's, that's common. Yeah. Or a divorce. Or the partner isn't at that moment ready to have that's a child. Right, yeah. I, I, I have to tell one story briefly about mm. <clears throat> a conversation I had last night with um, a couple who were dating for 10 years, married mm. for 10 years, mm. late 30s. The woman's age 37. She says to her husband, okay, I, I think I'm ready to have a child now. Mm. They had never talked about children. They'd been married for 10 years. Never talked about it. Never talked about it. And he said to her, but I, he doesn't, he, he said, I don't want to have kids. <gasps> I thought you knew that. Oh. Which led very quickly to a divorce. This shocked woman. Oh my gosh. And she's now 41. Yeah. And looking for a partner to have a child with. Wow. That is not uncommon. Wait, wait. They were married 10 years, probably dated a little bit of time before probably, that. Who knows? Probably. Never talked about children. Never talked about children. And it's not unique. I have a scene in the documentary where actually I'm filming a couple in Thailand. And yes. The, the, the woman has told me, and yeah, she's yeah. 44, I think. She's told me because she was actually a translator for me making the documentary. And we were having okay. this kind of chat between interviews. Oh, yeah, I really hope you have kids. But, you know, I don't know when. I asked her, did you talk about this with your husband? Mm. Like, no, we haven't talked about it. And she's 44. So I, I, I said, okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I actually don't want to talk to you anymore about this because I want to interview you and your husband yeah, together. Yeah. And as you know, it I becomes a significant scene in the documentary where she actually asks her husband on camera, are we going to have kids? And I'll not give the, give, give yeah, the full yeah. answer, but again, it was clear they were really not on the same page at all. So oh this, my gosh. you know, people need to talk about this. It's clear. Why wouldn't yeah. you? I think people make a lot of assumptions. Maybe if, maybe if you don't talk about this in the, in the dating phase early, well, maybe it becomes awkward to talk about. Okay, so I've, I've been with somebody for nine Actually, a month after I came to Japan, I met somebody. We're still together. And the second date I asked her, do you want to have children? I think that's really important. Yeah. But see, I come from a religious family, a Christian family. Mm. And to me, the object of dating is to assess whether or not that person will be a lifetime partner. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's just what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. So I met her. The first date is, oh, nice to meet you. Let's have a coffee together. Great. That was fun. I want to see you again. The second date was, you know, what are your plans for the future? Mm -hmm. Do you want to get married? How many children do you want? Mm -hmm. You're Japanese. I'm American. Mm -hmm. If this works out, mm -hmm. would you come live with me in America? Mm -hmm. Or would you rather me live in Tokyo together. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm still in Tokyo, so mm -hmm. that's your answer. But she appreciated that. Mm -hmm. 
And she said, well, I, one reason I like you is because you didn't beat around the bush. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't waste my time. Right. And yeah, when you're young and cute, you can go through that a couple of times. Oh, you waste my time next. Mm-hmm. But when you get older, you can't afford, women have a much tighter fertility window than men. Yes. Right. And I'm, I'm speaking like I know what I'm talking about. Right. But I, I think that's just an observation. But guys, if you're dating a girl and you're not serious about her, you haven't talked about it, you know, well, get I, it I, I, I've got a couple of comments around that. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I find that, I, first of all, I think the approach of it can even be first date just to establish sure, certain sure. things. If you really want kids or if you really mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. want kids, that's fundamental. Well, yeah. You need to communicate that quite early on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. I want to talk about men briefly in this context because you're right. That's a good idea. <laughs> two, <laughs> two men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it, 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 the timing's maybe a little different. Mm. You know, women have a tighter fertility yeah. window. That's the reality. Um, men think they can have a kid at any time. The clock goes on they, and on, and yeah, yeah we're okay. Can, we're okay. We don't have to think about this. We think we can be Hugh Hefner yeah, or something. Or right. Anyway. But, you know... <laughs> Uh, put it this way, you're competing with your younger self for the same pool of women. So a guy who's 45 mm. may think he's made it, he's got the house, the, you know, the career, savings, whatever it is. And he's meeting women who clearly may on occasion be interested in him. Mm-hmm. And then there's this younger guy who comes in who's you know, on, almost as successful perhaps, yeah. maybe more successful. And suddenly yeah. the, tension, the tension's always going to go to the younger, younger man all other things being equal. Uh, and th- th- so the sad reality is, uh, and uh, again, I'll give an example of, you know, friends of friends here. Mm-hmm. It, I know people from international communities yeah. and Japanese and also around the world. So I've got lots of little stories, but, you know, one really struck me. There's the two men who are unsure if mm. they want to have children. And mm. they have been... Uh, throughout their 30s, um, dating, I think probably successfully. They've met people, have had girlfriends, mm-hmm. they've had relationships. One of them is a little bit older. He, he turned 40. Hmm. And suddenly the number of dates he can get has just plummeted. Uh, to the point, he sh- his, his friend is yeah. getting all the dates now and all the oh attention boy. because the friend's 37, 38. He's 40. <sighs> So it, it, for him, it was like a stark moment in a woman's mind. Oh, you're 40. That's different. You're like second choice now. And of course, if you're... Interesting. You know, <laughs> maybe it's one of the reasons. I'm divorced uh, many, many years. And I probably thought when I come to Japan, I might meet someone. I came here at 48, 49. You know, I was competing with, with guys 10 years younger, I, I, uh, I guess. And I'm still single now. <laughs> it's just the way life works out. Um, so men think they may have more time, but we're competing against each other and against yeah. effectively, as I call our younger selves. So effectively, we're, what, we're, what are we trying to do for those who want children? Mm. You're trying to meet up with each other yeah. whilst both are in their uh, fertile years. And uh. because women have a shorter cycle, a shorter window, it's really competitive for men, and we, I think we don't know that. So it affects everybody. You know, I, I, since I've been out of the dating game, I didn't realize this, but uh, I, I assume that in my age, if I were to go out, maybe get on an app or go to... I mean, uh, I, I think I've only met women in person. 
maybe at a college classroom or something. Or at, oh boy, I don't even know school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I guess if I were to go on a dating app right now, I'm not six feet tall. I don't have a Lamborghini. I don't have a, a ten bedroom mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'd probably be single. <laughs> so. Yeah, but well, um, very probably. Yeah, uh, I don't mean that against you. No, you, no, you know, no, at all. No, in the slides, I, I think it's you'd be a lot more true. successful than me. Nah. But 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 as you get older, you're competing with younger people, and you do, uh, yeah. for men, there is a time clock. Therefore, sure, sure, it's a well, different time clock. And it's reproduction, like having children, is about health. And you know, I I think a lot of guys focus on like I want to get the house, I want to get the car, I want to show that I can provide. But we also don't consider health. So not only is he going to be healthy enough to be a father, to become a father, is he going to be there for the next 20 years to help raise that child, right? So if, yeah. if you look at a guy like me at 53, it's okay, if I have a child right now this year, so I'd be 54 when the child's born, mm-hmm. I'd be 74 when the child is in university. Yes. And people will say, look, you have a great, it, you know, to my daughter or my son, they would say, you have, you seem to have a great relationship with your grandfather. <laughs> well, I remember, uh, yeah, I was on a date here when I first came to Japan and, uh, the, the, the woman was a bit younger than me and, uh, she, she turned to me and said, I'll never forget. She said, you'd make a great grandfather. <laughs> oh, and that just my knocked gosh. my comfort. Like, okay. <laughs> wow. I think at that time I was late forties and thinking maybe I'll have some more kids. Maybe I just might. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, there is a time clock for us. But in terms of being around for, you know, I, I I I want to empathize um, with younger people a lot in terms mm. of the economics around this. Um, there's an economic vulnerability, yes. particularly for women in starting a family. Yes, and that. Vulnerability, I think, goes back to the oil shock. And and by uh, the way, we've also seen the same impact from the 2007-8 Lehman yes, mortgage the shock. shock. What about yeah. Fukushima as well? Um, yeah, well, Japan already had high challenges yeah. at that time. So yeah. what happens you know, when you have follow-up crises, it doesn't <laughs> impact the childless rate because it's already at its ceiling almost. I don't mean to be glib, but it seems like Japan has this perpetual case of PTSD. Mm. I mean, well, earthquakes, wars, <laughs> natural disasters. Maybe that's why they have such a good sense of humor. Right? I, I don't know. Yeah, you got to. You know, I uh, I never experienced an earthquake, a real one, until I came here. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I was. I, <laughs> it's a side story, but... You know, I came into my apartment. I didn't know there's a loudspeaker system. Um, so there's a, a warning yeah. given, you know, earthquake, earthquake. Yeah. And they're loud, too. They're loud. They're not quiet. But they're in Japanese, and I didn't speak any <laughs> Japanese. So I was like, what? Who is this voice? What are they saying? And then everything starts shaking a little yeah. bit. And what was remarkable to me was the translation in English huh. came second. So oh the my. earthquake's already happening. <laughs> There's going to be an earthquake in English. It's like, oh, I need to learn some Japanese oh to understand this. Well, you know, we get those on our phone and uh, sometimes you get it like two, three in the morning. And what happens is you get this alarm and then like half a second later you get an earthquake. Yes. So I don't know how, maybe it'll get better. Right? Yes. But... Um, but no, but the PTSD, I mean, the, the point, 
bringing me back to a point, the yeah. trends on birth rates are actually global. Or, or uh, no, I want to say global because people will say, well, what about India or, 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 or sub-Saharan, sub-Saharan yeah. Africa? But they're on the same trend. It's like a roller coaster. The uh, roller coaster has countries like Japan and Italy and Germany in the front yeah. car. South Korea up there too. China right there too. It has countries like um, France and the UK and the mm. US, Canada, somewhere mm-hmm. towards the front, okay. but not quite in the front car. And it has India a little bit further back and yeah. then sub-Saharan Africa. They're in, in the back car. But everyone is going on the same trend. So oh. the growth that we've experienced yeah. economically and in population over the past decades in the more developed world, yeah. um, that growth is going to be experienced in India right now, which has just become the world's most populous nation, mm-hmm. as well as many countries across Africa. Yeah. But birth rates are falling in those countries too. India is already below replacement level. And the region states within India, many of them, yeah. already with low birth rates, as low as Europe and Japan. Wow. Um, so we, we can see from data the same trend yeah. effectively everywhere, even in those countries sure, that, that sure. look like they've got growing populations. In reality, India's population is growing only because people are getting older. You know, people are living longer, yes. which is a great thing. But that I means that, was yeah. that a TED talk or something? The presentation where he had the boxes and he would say, "You replace this generation, and this one gets older. This one gets older, and right. we're living longer." Yes, right. And yes. so, if the population is growing, that means that the seventy and eighty year olds are there are more of them. Yes, like Japan. Yes, or like I think yeah. India is a great example. Um, there's this topical right now becoming so popular. Um, yeah. You know, uh, that was Professor Hans Rosling gave that talk, by Amazing the way. Amazing presence. And, and yeah. so data-driven, but so easy to understand. Right. So if you take India, it's a very young country. Well, what does that mean? It means people have still mostly, thankfully, got several more decades to live through to mm. get to older age. So Professor Rosling calls it filling up. These countries are filling up, uh, not with new people, but with yeah. you know younger people just living out their lives. So right now, the number of old people in mm. India, relatively speaking, is quite small. Okay. But wind the clock forward 20, 30 years, there's mm. going to be a lot of old people in India. It's simply people living longer. Uh. What I, 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 I was um, interviewed yesterday for, for a, a, a news segment about this, and uh, it was all talking about the economic challenges for India now. It's so populous. Okay. And I was the person on the panel saying, but wait a minute, look at the data. The number of births in India has been falling for around 15 years, falling, that net births. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you can see from the birth rates in all of these states and how that trend is growing, growing, mm-hmm. growing, that actually India is going to become the next Japan or Germany or Italy 40, mm-hmm. 50 years from now. Birth rates are falling. The number of old people is going to be growing. Yeah. So even when you look at those countries that, that are filling up, to yeah. use Professor Rosling's term, um, we see the same trend. So this is a global phenomenon, not linked to... I, 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 I have to smile sometimes. People, you know, I, I, the one I remember, people make comments after yeah. podcasts, and there's quite a lot of them. The Jordan Peterson yeah. one, there's 10,000 comments. Wow. Um, incredibly personal stories. But you get the occasional one. Yeah, I understand. But someone said, oh, I think it's because of President Reagan. And I'm like, okay, Reagan was, if I remember, 1980 to 88 
in, yeah. in the US. And we're talking about falling birth rates in the 70s in Japan, Italy, and Germany. So uh, so my, my point is... So he had a time machine. <laughs> yeah, a travel machine as well. <laughs> that, you know, it's natural, I think, for people to find causality, to link things up with uh, data. Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah. or if I can say a common one right now, mm-hmm. um, people talk about, oh, for example... Falling sperm counts around the yeah. world. That this can be one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. But but actually, falling sperm counts are relatively speaking a recent thing. They have been falling for a while. Okay. But sperm counts did not fall in Japan, Italy, Germany, and Spain at the same time. First, nineteen seventy three. Exactly yeah, in yeah. the same month, okay. and then spread across the world. Yeah. Now, so I'm not saying that that may not be a related problem. It, yeah, it yeah. might it might be a very big problem. Sure, but sure. it's not the cause of what we're seeing in terms of birth rates. Yeah. You know, because this trend we can trace all the way back. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, it gets a little more bleak. I mean, now it gets into the emotional ramifications and the, you know, there's a, in, in Japan I see, and this is just what I see. So I, I know a, a Japanese probate lawyer and um, who deals with elderly Japanese. And there seems to be a... Um, a loneliness epidemic as well, and a mental health epidemic. I I interviewed Vicky Scorgia, and yes. I put you guys in contact. Yes. One of the things I love about this podcast is I get these chances to have these conversations. And um, uh, Vicky uh, is from Tell, and we had a, a amazing conversation about suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, really, I, I listened back to that, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of times, but. There's in Japan. There's the the two things. So the um, the overall the number of suicides has gone down in the past you know fifty years, but the number of elderly and within that the number of men has increased, and the number of young women. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to misstate what she said. I think that's what she said, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. But um, so I, I happen to know a Japanese probate lawyer, and this is crazy because you know. Japanese have a very different view of marriage. There was always this arranged marriage. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of times they'll separate romantic love mm-hmm. from marriage. Mm-hmm. You don't always marry the person you love mm-hmm. and you don't always love the person you marry. Mm-hmm. In fact, you can have this amazing compatibility, passion, love, sex, and then break up to marry somebody who's stable. Yeah. And so... I- well, um, I, I, I'd like to maybe, uh, it's, it's really interesting to have a podcast with someone living in Japan because yeah. you bring out certain things about Jap, Jap, yeah, Japan culture. Sorry if I talk so, about Japan too much. No, but, no well, yeah. if you're interested, I'm interested because yeah. it's a very unique kind of perspective that, that we might have. I want to broaden it sometimes. But yeah. The concept of marriage in Japan yeah. is fundamentally different to the concept of marriage in other cultures. Yes. And I didn't know that until I came here because we think marriage, oh, that's two people getting together and yeah. having a home and a, maybe a family and yeah. that's what marriage is. Marriage in Japan has much more formality to it. Yeah. It's the process of typically, not always, but typically a woman technically signing to become part of the man's, the male family. The family, yep. You go to the city hall and literally there's a book where yes. you're re- registered and you transition from your parents' family mm-hmm. onto your, your, your husband's. Your husband, yeah. It can't go the other way, uh, yeah, yeah. but that's very rare. So effectively, the family typically have to 
approve this. Mm. And I have met several people who did not marry because the family didn't approve. Yeah. And one's a, a young woman who, to be honest with you, there's no reason she would be single in her mid-30s. Mm. Um, the reason was the person she was in, getting engaged to, she thought yeah. the family met together, yeah. uh, including grandparents, extended family, to discuss it. And they did not want to be connected to the other family. It wasn't about the couple. It was that the families had incap- incompatibilities. Wow. And she had to tell this young man that um, she couldn't marry him, but she did not want to tell him that she made it some other reason that she met someone yeah, yeah. else, whatever. She's still single. You know, she's still oh 35, and, and that was in her early 20s. So th- just to make the point, the concept of marriage here as a construct is quite difficult. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, because in Japan, another interesting thing is that the number of babies born outside marriage is exceptionally low. Yeah. I think it's still 3%, 5% maybe. Uh, same as South Korea, um, where it's it's over fifty percent now in many many other cultures. It has not risen wow. here. Um, so people say, oh well, the reason the birth rate's falling in Japan is because people aren't getting married enough. If they marry, they will have more more, more children. children. But yeah. it's not as simple as that because what I've also seen here, uh, and I think this might be related, um, young couples, the woman getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Because if you're pregnant, that's a big deal. Yeah. And in Japan, it's actually quite okay to be pregnant and not married. But you must marry at that point. It's like, yeah, yeah. okay, because the child has to be born into a family. Well, it's the family register you just the talked family about, register. Right? So yeah. that child has to have a family. Mm. So it changes the dynamics. And I, I often wonder, therefore, are, are younger mm. people deferring marriage because that would mean the family will get involved in decisions. And it's oh, changing. Yeah. So this is not universal, but it still is present. Well, let's just date together, maybe live together. Yeah. And if the woman gets pregnant, hey, we're going to go to her parents and it'll, it's a done deal. Wow. So, um, you know, and that. my summarization of, of Japanese culture is from my lens, my perspective. Yeah. Other people may have here uh, much deeper and richer perspectives on it. But again, back to the, if we now broaden this to a global perspective, yeah. here we have a country with a very different concept of marriage and dating yeah. and having children inside or out of marriage, but we have the same birth rate trend as Italy and Germany at the same time. So uh. this is where we, you know, we have to be very careful about drawing conclusions that, oh, the marriage written in J- Japan is the problem. No, it's not. Uh. The, it's just a cultural artifact. So, but it, it just seems like there's such a complicated system there's so many moving parts to it it's so hard to say like okay well uh this is because the birth control pill because they didn't get it till the 90s in japan right mm-hmm. right and um a lot of women say that they take it for their skin and then when they stop they get married and stop taking it they can't get pregnant um, can i tell you something sure, sure. that shocked me yeah and i've been here five six years studying this yeah and i learned this 10 days ago the number of women taking the pill in Japan is 3%. 3. 3%? 3. 3%. In other countries, I, th- I think I've heard 70%. I mean, I had just made the assumption that you're right, it was not made available in Japan until yeah. around 1990. Mm-hmm. 
And that's another story why it was delayed because the sure, pill sure. was available in the 70s or maybe before in many sure. other nations. Well, and even then, doctors would tell women, you don't want to take this. Use another form of birth control. Don't take this. We, we don't know what it's going to do to you long term. Well, that culture is still there. And I didn't know it until uh, a young woman, friend of a friend, was telling me she, she, she wasn't feeling well. And because I have this kind of conversation with sure, people, sure. she said, oh, you know, I get these monthly cramps and whatever. Oh. And she said, I stopped taking the pill last summer. It's like, oh, I understand. Like, why did you stop? I said, well, none of my friends take it. And it's like really annoying every, every day I have to remember. And sometimes I forget and it's like it's just too complicated. But yeah. I said, well, what do you mean none of your friends take the pill? It's like, oh, Japan, no, no one takes the pill. Oh. I went back and checked data. It's 3%. 3%. That's so interesting. Th- but it's in, because there's another difference you know, in terms of contraceptive methods. Yeah. And yet, again, you have the same global trend at the same time in terms of falling birth rates. Sure. So for me, I find these differences... Uh, particularly interesting because it's, it's well, more evidence that the trend is more fundamental than things like contraception. It's, it's a wider trend than just one data point, right? So, uh, in, and I heard from, a, this is anecdotal from a, a friend who's a, another foreigner. We knew each other in the 90s here in Japan and he said that um, abortion was used as a form of birth control. Yeah. So if you get pregnant, you get an abortion. Yeah. And that uh, it's not looked down upon the way it is in the States. Where, and, and it's a huge contentious issue we're not going to get into. But here it was more like, uh, or even a married couple who has two children and says, well, we don't want to have a third one and you're pregnant. What do we do now? Mm-hmm. We don't have you know, money, space, whatever. I have to tell you another story yeah. uh, on the same topic. And this is, again, a very fresh story. There's uh, an American man married to a Japanese woman who has three kids. Hmm. And... Uh, he told me after the third child, they decided not to have any more children. Mm. So he said to his wife, will I get a vasectomy? Mm. And she said, well, what's that? And he said, the, the clip. Yeah. What do you mean? The yeah. clip? Well, you know. And she didn't know. Oh. And then he described and she said, that sounds horrendous. Why would any man ever do that? The vasectomies are not a thing in Japan. That's true. Well, uh, they, they say pipe cut. Oh, maybe you know more than me then. Pipe cutto. Pipe cutto. Maybe he was using the long language, but apparently he was trying to draw diagrams and explain them. (laughs) But it's not common, I think. Is that that right? Is that your experience? You know what? So I don't have a lot of Japanese friends, and um, most of my friends are foreigners, and they're married, and uh, but it hasn't come up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And Japanese are a lot more private. True. You know, so they would never say like, oh, I'm taking a couple of days off. I'm going to get a vasectomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, I mean, in the States, you might, depending on the... the but I suspect it's actually more fundamental. I, I think just like, the, I mean, you're right. Abortions uh, were effectively a method, not of contraception. I don't want to describe it that way. But oh, there were yeah. very, and a lot of doctors made a lot of money from this, which is one of the reasons I uh, think the pill was delayed until the 90s. So I heard. But another fact, uh, again, we're talking a lot about Japanese culture, but I like talking about this because it emphasizes how different cultural things yeah. are, but yet the trends are the same. One more yeah. fact is that epidurals are very uncommon during childbirth here. That's true. So there are a lot of differences on one mm. level. Japan has some fundamental differences to other cultures, and I'm not saying what's good or bad. That's yeah. not the point. The point is different. The, the trends are the same globally. So ah. it, it means that we cannot look at individual nations to say, why are the yeah. birth rates falling in the U.S. right now? Ah. 
Um, and there are studies that try to do that and come up with U.S. reasons yeah, for yeah. why U.S. birth rates are low. Uh, it, it, it's not... Um, it, it, to me, it's like saying, you know, what are the reasons that the coronavirus is having this effect in, in, in the U.S.? And having, yeah. you know, no, no, this is a global phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. You, so. well, and there's so many factors. I mean, so it's going back to this, it's like... So there's the the oil shock and just anybody who's dated knows that during a stressful time, there's less romance, less intimacy, right? So yeah, well, that might be one reason. Also, stress, I believe, I, I've heard causes, it's more difficult to conceive when you're under stress. Other couples might just say like, okay, uh, we're going to... I wouldn't, but they're going to say, we'll abstain during this time or we don't feel like, you know, being intimate together. Well, um, I think um, I think the fundamental thing is during times of economic uncertainty, mm. uh, it, it's more likely that people will defer becoming a parent. Mm. So back to Japan, 74, um, those who already had one child mm-hmm. actually accelerated having the second one and there was no change... Um, people having two, three, four, five, zero change yeah. throughout this crisis. The big change was people who had not started the family yet. The first time mother. So yeah. those are the people, um, I think there's enough statistical evidence to say they were deferring parenthood. Mm-hmm. It's not that they, en masse, you know, yeah. 30% of Japanese women said, you know what, there's a crisis and actually I didn't want kids anyway. You might find a way to make that argument, but I have multiple counter arguments to that. Um, this was what I call unplanned childlessness. Uh, that's the terminology I've, I, I've really... You've, you coined the term, right? I, I yeah, I, I believe so. I, yeah. <laughs> I, someone else may have thought of it somewhere else, but yeah. yeah, it was not used before. And during my journey talking to people, th- yeah. th- this is actually just something that happens. Yeah, It's not that you know people were saying, you know, I'm going to have a, I'm going to meet my partner 32 and have my first child at 33. Maybe mm-hmm. people do think that way a little bit, but yeah, you don't, there's so many uncertainties. You get through your 30s and mm. your 40s, and there'll be people listening to this. I always empathize with people listening who may be in this position. And to those people, there are support groups or the, the chat groups around the podcast I've done, you will see similar comments. It's a mm. very, very deeply emotional thing for many oh, people. Yeah. But it is unplanned childlessness. Mm. Um, so um, I think really what we're looking at from the shocks that happen is deferred parenthood. Yeah. When you defer parenthood, it means effectively you have shorter time frames in terms of yeah. fertility windows. But it, it, it also means during those years you're doing something else. Yeah. Okay, what are you doing while well, you're mm. probably accelerating your, your career in the workplace? Yeah. Uh, and to, you, you know, just put it in simple terms, I think the corporate world kind of embraces that. It's, it's natural. Yeah. yeah, sure. Stay with you know, defer yeah. parenthood. You know, um, there's nothing from the corporate side yeah. that that's bad about that yeah, in the yeah. short term, at least. I mean, there is in the longer term for yeah. societies, and I think corporations are starting to realize that finally. Yeah. And I'm part of what I'm doing now is trying to increase awareness amongst mm. corporations and government that actually defer parenthood is a really traumatic event for many, many people. Yeah. But but coming back. Um, I, I think the societal norm really just raises the bar as to when the timing should be. You know, mm. when is it almost acceptable to this corporation? I take mm. time off to have children whilst still wanting to pursue my career to the right level. 
that becomes a societal norm. Yeah. Um, so these transitions, you know, almost are, are traps. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're 32, 35 is a good age now. And, yeah, and what sad. happens when you hit 32 and you can't have children? Yeah, or you haven't got a partner. Or you haven't got a partner. Yeah, I've just um, broken up or, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. my gosh. Well, you know, back to Japanese families, and sorry to bring it back to Japan sure. so much, but I, I was going to say I know a, a Japanese probate lawyer. And how are we doing on uh, Yeah, tw- 25 minutes, and okay. I can push back that perfect, call if, perfect. if we need to. Um, so, like I said, Japanese couples are very different. Um, uh, what I've heard anecdotally, there are actually a lot of sexless couples, couples who are not even making love. Sure. And that uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe they're not getting along, you know, whatever happened, or they're so busy at work that you get off work, you get home at 11 PM and just, mm-hmm. just go into a coma until the next morning, go back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that. Um, There's a lot of reasons for that. And it's younger people as well. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite surprising. I, I you know, think of one Japanese couple, um, very Japanese, didn't speak English. I, I, I met a friend of a friend, a woman, and she was dating this guy for six years. Hmm. Uh, the first year was normal, mm-hmm. sex life. Mm-hmm. They hadn't had sex for five years after that. And she was a 29-year-old attractive Japanese woman. And it took me and several of her friends to say, this is not normal. Yeah, yeah and not at all. If you, she wanted kids, yeah, um, this was a fundamental issue. This was a signal. You know, okay, they may have been able to ha- have one or two romantic nights to have kids, but this was such yeah. a fundamental signal that she was not in the yeah. right relationship. Yeah, and after multiple discussions with not me, but amongst her friends, mm-hmm. she took a very brave decision to break up. Mm. And oh my gosh, the person after that, she's now dating, she's kind of, as we call it here, genki, you know, mm-hmm. and you're just positive minded yeah. and everything. So sexlessness is a big thing, but it's also a big thing around the world. We thought this was a Japanese thing, yeah. but this is not, this is everywhere now. Well, it happened in America, you have like 30 year old male virgins. I mean, guys yeah. who've never had sex, never had a g- girlfriend. Yeah. I wish yeah. I'd just call it to Chris Williamson's podcast, Modern Wisdom, that yeah. I thought it was on. He's got some incredible material, statistics uh-huh. on the number of men uh, under 30 who have not had sex in the past year. And it might be 20, 30% of young men who've had zero sex in a year. Wow. Wow. What a different world I grew up in. Um, and, and a lot of this in, in Japan happens after children too. So I can see why a guy might want not might not want to have children because they know. A, a friend told me, I said, look at that guy. He's got a five-year-old child. You know what that means? He's not had sex with his wife in six years. Mm-hmm. Because once they have children, they're now roommates. Mm-hmm. And he goes out and makes the money and she stays home and takes care of the kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see some guys might think, I don't want to have kids because that, like then our sex life is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings in the cheating culture. And mm-hmm. that's it seems to be kind of... Yes expected or accepted and it's it's bizarre um it's commonplace as you know Mm -hmm. and it's almost normal Mm. from what i can see um but yeah when you talk to people about this Mm -hmm. um maybe there's an awkwardness about talking about it it's just an unspoken thing that happens that yeah couple gets married and the other dynamic around this is maybe it's changing a little bit but oftentimes the woman is the one who looks after the family finances yeah and the you know the the man gets like a a little stipend every month and maybe his 
company kind of has a expense account for some mm-hmm. you know, dinners out and drinks out that, that, that yep. still happens but you're right there's a separation again the concept of marriage and, and yeah. how we think of it I think very different it's different here no, no not that lo- but but I will say this I mm-hmm. think young people young women in Japan are yeah. looking for love they want yeah, yeah. that kind of loving rel- they want romance they yeah. don't want this kind of structured they, relationship they want to be swept off their feet yes yeah yeah a young Japanese woman who watched the documentary some years ago I got a very beautiful young woman she was probably 28 29 at the time watched it and said she was tearing up and she said you know we were told there would be a prince charming where is he you know, so it's it, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Wow. So for all, and we're covering a vast range of, this is not a singular thing. Mm-hmm. And again, let's just bring it back to the rest of the world. The mm-hmm. same thing's happening everywhere. This is in the US yeah. and the UK and France and Australia and I, I, and in India too. When uh-huh. you go to those areas in Southern India, yeah. I, I've met women there as well. who are saying, no, I have to get my education, education, education. I can't uh-huh. think about family. And I, I just know for many, what will happen? You know where that's going. You know where it's going. Yeah. yeah. So, and and back to this. So, marriage is different. Relationships are different. Sex is different in Japan. Um, families are very different. So, I, I was going to say earlier. I know this probate lawyer who went to do an intake for um, probate lawyers write wills and estates and trusts for people, and then they dispose their assets when they pass away. So. This Japanese probate lawyer went to do this intake for this will and write this person's will. Okay, how much is your house worth? What bank accounts do you have? What stocks and financial instruments do you have? And where do you want it to go when you die? And he gives her all the information. And at the end, she says, uh, just like a typical you know, customer visit, do you have any more questions for me? He said, yeah, sure. Just one. Who's going to find me when I die? Wow. Wow. But I get it. But I get it. And as she was leaving, she noticed at the front door there was this cork board and it had all these menus for takeout for restaurants. Mm-hmm. That's how he was eating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, 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 again, you know, uh, in the documentary, I, 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 I cover um, loneliness and I talk about loneliness of older people. Mm-hmm. In Japan, but also Germany. And again, this is a, a, a global thing, but mm-hmm. um, the, there's a community called Takashima Daira here, which is in Tokyo, a suburb of Tokyo, yeah. where I went to visit with my... She was actually my Japanese language teacher. Oh, cool. She told me about this, this area that she remembered from her childhood mm. that was just filled with children. There was this modern apartment block that yeah. went up in the 70s. And all over Japan, these went up, and uh, yeah. she just remembers having so much fun mm. after school, running around the playgrounds. And as she was telling me the story about it, yeah, I just thought it's not going to be like that now. So yeah. I asked, and people asked who watched the documentary, asked me on occasion, did she really not ever go back to that place? She didn't. So she hadn't been back in thirty years. Oh. So there's a scene in the documentary where I go with her. That was genuinely the first time she'd been back in 30 years. And you could see her, you know, almost childlike reaction mm. to being and saying, and I'm looking around and there, there's no kids now. And she's saying, well, there's more car parking now. Those used to be like playgrounds. And, yeah. and she's walking through and suddenly all the stores are closed. And we go to a pharmacy and she's it's, at, at that moment... 
I'm just following her. She's walking mm-hmm. so fast, you know, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. talk to whoever you want or wherever you want to go. Yeah. She goes into the pharmacy and said, sorry, 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 why are all the shops closed? And the store owner says, well, it's just old people living here now. And, um, and f- further to that, um, you know, I think my assumption was, well, yeah, they must be kind of half empty, these apartments now. Mm. This is just what's happened. But no, it turns out that 98% are occupied. The majority are occupied by old people living alone. The majority of those are old women in their uh, 80s and 90s. Because women, women live longer than men. Yeah. So you have exactly this scenario um, wow. of people dying alone. And it turns out it's a huge issue here. Wow. So, I, I you know, I... We could talk more about this, but it's yeah. it's, it's 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 not a pleasant subject. Um, and again, t- to just make the point, uh, in Germany, yeah. where I filmed as well, on the same topic, you know, this is happening in all of these countries. Again, this is not a Japanese yeah. thing at but, all. And, and what I find interesting, so I've been hearing this on TV for three decades now in Japan. Like everybody knows mm-hmm. that they've got this aging society. They have the uh, they have a word for it, kore shakai. Mm-hmm. aging society mm-hmm. and everybody knows and everybody hears about it all the time and they all whoa, whoa, what do we do oh, I don't know what to do in the documentary I saw a few people who were surprised mm-hmm. at their country's birth rate right oh many yeah, yeah. Um, maybe so this is like a silent epidemic right yes like, it's a hidden that's right yeah um, I think it was part of what motivated me when I decided to, well, first think of writing a book mm-hmm. um, and then a documentary. Like, people need to understand that this silent epidemic is a good way yeah. to describe it. This background problem that yeah. they hear about maybe once a year when the newspaper publishes the, yeah, the birth rate, that this is going to fundamentally change all aspects of society. Yeah. So well, And, and it's not more, easy to come back from either. Oh, well, it's impossible because you yeah. don't have the, the okay. number of parents you know, as the birth rate goes yeah. down, the next generation is shrunk, and that so, then the next generation is shrunk. So oh you, you're, my gosh, Japan yeah. will never, in the next century and probably a lot longer, yeah. go back to a population of 120 plus million where it's been sitting at for for decades. It's going to shrink to let's say around half. Best case, it will stabilize there. But mm. this shrinkage will never end until the birth rate goes back up to two. It can't. It's mathematical. Wow. So. Are there any answers? Any solutions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know it's a very complex, like I said, so many moving parts. Yeah. Which means we can't just say like, okay, stop taking the pill or get married younger or eat better. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't just point to one thing and say, okay, oh, that'll fix it. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's exactly right. And of course, governments around the world have been trying to fix it. In South Korea, they've been, you know, spending $2 billion on programs to encourage young people to have children and the birth rates continue to to plummet. The the city we're in, Minato City, Mm -hmm. gives uh, um, financial assistance to parents. Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, Uh, opening more kinder, uh, it may be a good thing to give financial assistance to parents. Uh, yeah. It may be a good thing to open more kindergartens, to you know, more parental leave. But yeah. you, know, you, you look at Denmark, yeah. uh, much as Scandinavia, but take Denmark, you know, mm-hmm. a country where there's uh, one year paid leave off the, the mother yeah. and father can take it, split whatever way they want, six months yeah. each or longer for one or the other, free education. All sorts of benefits. Oh, healthcare, yeah. yeah. I have a brother living in Denmark. So oh, okay. So I hear all the great stuff about it. Yeah. yeah. But yet the birth rate is, well, almost as low as Japan. It's, uh, it's like 1.5, 1. 1.6. 1. 
So oh. you can't say, oh, it's because of this policy or this incentive. Yeah. So you ask the question, is there a solution? For the longest time, I was not optimistic. Um, and I still have... Well, it's, it's easy to be pessimistic. Yeah, like, it's easy it's to You've got this massive problem, nobody knows about it, and you can't come back from it. The, the optimism comes from one thing only. Okay. Uh, it actually has, um, yeah, I know I do have a lot of hope. Okay. It's come from when I show the documentary to younger people. I've shown it to 12-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 22-year-olds. Yeah. They're shocked about this. Yeah. There's shock that life can work out in a way that, you know, you can't have kids at the time you want. That's just an assumption that, well, ah. if I want kids, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But if I want kids, it's okay. I'll have a partner and I'll have kids. Ah. Because we don't tell them anything different. No, no, and by no. definition, young people, well, mostly have parents. So it, it kind of worked yeah, out somehow, yeah. for better or worse, but yeah. their parents did it somehow. Yeah. So by definition. Well, so will I. Yeah, right. Yeah. No one's saying anything different. But when they watch the documentary, um, the comments or reaction uh, is one of near, how can I say? Oh, I, I, it's, anger's not the right word. Mm. Fear's not the right word. Inspiration's not the right word. There has to be a word, I must get it. But there's this mm. reali realization, is probably yeah. the best way to describe it, that actually. Yeah. We can't just trust society to lead uh -huh. us on the path that we think we might want to go on. And there's another factor to be optimistic. Um, by definition, in countries like Japan and Europe, right now, yeah. there are fewer and fewer young people to go into the workforce. Mm. The power of those younger people to mm. say, you know what, I'm going to choose the career gives me closest to what I think I yeah. want in life in terms of work-life balance and yeah, salary, yeah. of course, uh, career progression, but perhaps also in terms of the ability to take leave and have less stress mm. around economic concerns if I have a child at a certain age mm. that I will lose my potential career, which yeah. is a big thing here. For, uh, we should oh, yeah. Say, I mean, women coming back into the workforce after maternity, mm. you're on a different career path at that totally. moment. Totally. Well, not only that, the childcare. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's so many different things with the childcare. So, in my mind, if there are fewer customers, fewer children in daycare, the price should go down, supply and demand, right? Mm -hmm. No, what happened was they closed down. Yes. So now there are not enough places, yes. and they got more expensive. Yes. So if you have kids, you're going to pay through the nose for childcare, and you might not get a place. Yes. So you might not be able to go back to work. This is what I call the birth gap trap. Because a younger generation yeah. that may be motivated to yeah. have more children, say, uh, actually have more problems. There's more stress on them because yeah. they've got the burden of the older generation to take care of. Yeah. Um, and I, I, take care doesn't mean going to sit down with their sure, aging sure. grandparents or parents and you know mm -hmm. help them on a daily basis. It means that the taxes that they will pay yes. go to support the society to support yep. the older people. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. And so the younger generation... I think I encourage to be quite selfish, actually. I, to be honest, I think they have to think of themselves more than older people. Oh. Because if, if, if there isn't a moment where some younger generation says, wait a minute, yeah. something isn't right in these societies, oh. and we want to restructure education pathways, yeah. career pathways, yeah. 
those companies that and those universities, yeah. colleges, training programs that f- enable that are the ones that will be successful. Oh. So we now, we have this dynamic, potential dynamic yeah. that makes me optimistic that I think there will be societies around the world, and it might be Japan. It's one of the reasons I'm still here because I think Japan is so aware of the problem. Yeah. It's more likely that things could happen here. Just repeat. If a person doesn't want to have a child, we need to support that too and yeah. respect that because I'm going, I'm sensing there might be more and more tension mm. uh, about people who didn't have children and a lack of understanding as yeah, to whether yeah. it's by choice or not by choice and those pathways. We need to all come together, everybody, yeah. as a society. Yeah. But well, you people give me hope. Like I said, it's, it's data is data is agnostic. It's not political. It's not judgmental. It's just an observation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yeah, there we can. We, we're running out of time, but um, we got 10 minutes to one. And we, we should tie it off soon. But um, And just by the way, I, I, I've got a 10, 15-minute call probably with someone. Okay. We, I can be doing that while you're kind of breaking up. Oh, I'm breaking, breaking it down. And okay. we can go for a coffee yeah. or something. If, if that Let's do that. Yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So um, a conversation we had at, at Blink when we first met was uh, infertility, mm-hmm. where people want to have children but can't, and that's mm-hmm. devastating. And the um, the the emotional toll that takes on people, mm-hmm. but I I think um, younger people are usually rebellious. I think if we make it like cool mm-hmm. or renegade or like rebellious to have kids, like oh, look at this rebel, he's got three kids. Yeah, you know, I, counterculture. Yeah, I, I feel it's entirely up to an individual. Mm. And I don't want to, maybe it's because I'm a data person. Um, that's for others to kind of consider. Yeah. But as long as it doesn't come become coercive, you know, yeah. that, you know that there's a, it, it shouldn't be coercive to have a child. It mm. shouldn't be coercive to have more children. But it also shouldn't be coercive to have no children or yeah. less children, fewer children. Um, mm. I just think given... Unplanned childlessness yeah. is so prevalent around the world. Yeah. You know, and I, the best estimates I see places around 80% of people without children did not plan to, have, to be childless. 80%. It's lower in countries going through transition, like the US right now. Yeah. US, you know, people are still hoping to have children in their 30s. Yeah, yeah. That wave hasn't passed through yet, but it's uh, going in the same direction. So, um, the prevalence of this, to me, gives me, gives me hope for societies, but ultimately it's down to an individual to decide mm. if they want children or not. Mm. I, I totally agree. Where um, if somebody wants to have a career, wants to have children, wants to do whatever, mm-hmm. stay home with the children, go back to work, that's up to you, mm-hmm. I think. But um, So I think, you're, I think you're right. I think kind of what you're saying, if I understand, is that the individual has to decide. Mm-hmm. right? And also to realize, like humans, we're pretty bad at, predicting how we're going to feel in the future, mm-hmm. right? I mean, as a child, I wanted to be a cowboy, mm. right? I wanted to be like Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. right? The country singer. I wanted to be a, I wanted to ride a horse mm-hmm. and I wanted to, you know, um, I never want to be a firefighter or like, you know, whatever, but we're very bad at predicting the future. And mm-hmm. so when I was in my early twenties or no, sorry, late teens, I wanted to work at a bank mm-hmm. And then I decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in South America because I learned Spanish. And then I end up in Japan. And I thought, well, I want to learn Japanese. Mm-hmm. We're very bad at predicting where we're going to be in 20 years, mm-hmm. 10 years, five yes. years. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think people kind of, it kind of comes down to a decision, some life planning saying, you know what? I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. So I'm going to make the decision to, uh, what does Jordan Peterson say? Find the heaviest thing you can and pick it up Mm -hmm. and lift it. Um, So maybe to people have to make that decision. Okay, I'm going to have kids. I'm going to have children. I'm going to have a family. Mm. I'm going to get married. And I'm going to, you know, invest in my community in many ways, right? And so I think, um, yeah, people have to make that decision themselves because, uh, as they say, uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, right? I I think... um and sure, as a child, I you know I know I wanted to be an astronaut at one point, you know, and yeah. uh, then I dream about being lost in space, and I thought, okay, I'm not going to do that. Maybe one. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, see, I don't think it's in the conscious mind. Um, y- young people, uh, uh, and young people are maybe listening to to this and jumping up and down, saying, "What's he talking about?" Um, but I think mostly younger people naturally follow the societal norm as what's mm. being laid down for them, and that is about education, education, education. Yeah, as far as you can go. And then, but during that education path, you have to choose. You have to major yeah. in something. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, I'm originally from the UK. If you want to go into medicine, mm. you got to pretty much decide at age sixteen. Because mm. if you don't have your final two years of high school studying certain things, mm. you have no chance. And there's no comeback to generalize. Um, so, so from a very young age, we're forcing people to make decisions to narrow down the options. Ah. And then having done that, society is also, well, okay, you've now got your degree in banking or, or finance or whatever it is. Well, you're going to go and work for a bank or, you're, you know, mm-hmm. or training programs or you've learned to do this. Yeah. You know, you're going to do this activity. Um, and life therefore pulls people through it, forcing decisions mm. at quite early years that are going to be in place for the rest of people's lives effectively, mm-hmm. you know, certainly working years. And through all this, I think I can, society, the societal norm, because we're not telling young people anything different, is, mm. oh, you'll be able to find someone at the right time. Don't worry about it. When you're 30s is a good time, mm-hmm. and then you're married, then you have kids, that's no problem. But I think, you know, there's, so... You're right. People don't think 10, 20 years forwards with certainty. You can't do, but you're following a path that you think, well, it's going to lead me somewhere. It's okay. You know, yeah. there's a path and society's pushing me through it, you know, yeah. and pulling me through it. Um, it'll be okay, whatever ends up. Mm-hmm. Through all of that, there's no discussion. We're mm. not teaching younger people about fertility windows, about what can happen. Yeah. And that's what I see when young people watch the documentary. I mean, you know, it gets very emotional at points. Ah. Um, this realization that, oh, maybe society hasn't you know, thought this through. Ah. And that's what gives me hope. That's beautiful. What a great way to end. Stephen, thank you so much. Thank you for the time, Chris. Okay. Mm-hmm.